I see so many of us parents and it's the natural thing to do. But when our kids mess up, I have parents coming in and they want to, they want to save them. They don't want them to get in trouble. They don't want them to get the lower grade. They want to protect them. And so what I've seen though, is those parents that will let their kids take the consequences of school, get in trouble, whatever it is, take the lower grade, those kids learn how to manage that. And so, yes, they messed up when the stakes were small, but then when the stakes are big, they already know how to handle it. And they're probably not going to make those similar choices. So that's what I've seen over and over. Like we, we have to let our kids fail. We have to let them fall on their faces. We have to let them mess up and then kind of coach them through how to manage that, but not go in and, and swoop in and, and save them every time, not be a helicopter parent, so to speak. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm Ashley Eagle. This week, I'm excited to share with you our first school counselor to come to the podcast this week. And I found her on Facebook. Yeah, let me explain this. So Holly Hensley wrote up this Facebook post, and it was about eight things that she believes are the reasons why college athletes are struggling now more with their mental health than ever. And giving eight pieces of advice is what we can do about it as parents, coaches in the game, influencers to a youth athlete who's striving to become better. She is a school counselor, a mom of two teenage athletes. I'll tell you a little bit about them in a second. She's a former college athlete herself and wife of a high school football coach. She's looking for answers, and so are we. This post that I found had over a 1,000 shares, and before I, it even got to a 1,000 shares is when I discovered it, and there's a reason why it's going viral, and there's a reason, that's the reason why she's here with us today. So a little bit about Holly. She lives in Arlington, Texas. She's a former basketball player at Bethany College, where she studied psychology and physical education. She has a master's from Emporia State University in school counseling. She has two teenage athletes. Let me tell you about them. She has a daughter who's 14. Her primary sport is softball, and she also plays volleyball. Her son is 15, entering the high school waters, and he plays baseball and football. And as I mentioned, her husband coaches high school football. Holly has extreme expertise in this field and shares with me on this podcast how she's Talked to a hundred students, over a hundred students probably at this point in time in her 19 years of being a school counselor about suicide. And I think that the, the fact that people don't want to talk about it, and honestly, it's uncomfortable for me to even mention it, especially because of the days that we're living in. I think it's the reason why we need to talk about it more. And as a school counselor, she is certified 
in being able to have these conversations. And we dive a little bit into that today. So without further ado, let's welcome Holly Hensley to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Agle, and I'm thrilled to have you, Holly, on the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. And as we were chatting before we started recording, it's a very nerve-wracking episode. I kind of had to beg you to come on the show, (laughs) but I was just so, I don't know if entrapped is the right word, but I saw this Facebook post that you had written and I was just like in awe of it. And, and you wrote it, and I'll let you describe it here in a little bit, but you wrote it and I was just like taken back and thought, wow, this is something that we haven't really talked on the podcast much about. And I think it's going to be able to really change how people maybe think about softball and sports in general. So first of all, thank you for posting it. And second of all, can you take us through a rundown of the post and what led you to posting it on Facebook? So what led me to posting it is um, we have two kids, a freshman and an eighth grader. And the softball world, I did not really grow up in the softball world that much. And so it's been eye-opening. And there's I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. And so really my thought was if I could just help maybe fast track some other parents through some lessons that took me longer than they should have for me to learn. Mm then maybe it would just like give them something to think about or to ponder. And so I couldn't sleep one night. It was like four o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep. And so I just put my thoughts down and I hardly changed it at all. I showed it to my daughter the next day. I was like, what do you think? Cause I was going to ask an, an adult friend, but I'm like, it really doesn't matter what they think because this is really to help kids. Um, right. Under, for adults to understand kids. So I asked my daughter to look at it. I'm like, what would you change? And she was actually surprisingly like, you pretty much got it, mom. And so I said, okay. Yeah. I sent it to one other um, teenage softball player that I thought would give me honest feedback. She barely tweaked it. And that was it. I decided to post it, almost deleted it because I wasn't quite sure, but went ahead and just put it out there for the world. And it's been mostly all positive feedback. Yeah. Well, thank God you posted it because literally we would not be talking right now if you hadn't. Um, (laughs) But this post had got, it's gotten over 1,000 interactions now, right? Yeah. And and so many shares. It's been shared over a thousand times. That's how we know this is gold. So take me, there's my dog. (laughs) (laughs) We said he was going to bark. Here he is. Um, Tell me a little bit about your kids and, and what sports they play and give us a little background on you being a parent and what, and what you've gone through. And then we'll, and then we'll dive into those eight things that you wrote down that maybe could be changed in the game or thought about differently. Okay. So uh, we have a daughter, she's an eighth grader. Her primary sport is softball plays year round. And then at school she plays volleyball and then in the past she's played basketball as well at school and then just uh, like youth rec leagues nothing serious and then we have a son who's a freshman his main sports are baseball and football and then previously he's done basketball but he stopped doing that once he got into high school and then just my history as a sports parent they started playing when they were super young my husband and I were always involved in sports so it was just kind of a natural thing to get them involved early And then I'm one of those people, I'm always reflecting, thinking, observing, watching other people. My husband coaches high school football. So I'm just constantly reflecting and 
if I could have gotten more advice, I certainly would have been open to that. Uh, so I was just kind of putting something out there for people to think about and talk about and see if maybe there's something that would work better for their families. Yeah, absolutely. And the psychologist background in you, so you studied psychology and phys ed in college. Do you think that's probably the prime reason why you tend to reflect on things a lot? Probably. I'm a school counselor and have been for uh, 19 years. So I naturally tend to go to the psychology side of things. And I'm just, I'm a people watcher. I'm an observer. I like to watch different Mm -hmm. situations. And then people just tend to confide in me a lot. So I've had a lot of parents, especially softball parents. I've formed friendships with them and they'll confide in me. So I kind of start seeing a pattern or a theme of things that different parents are struggling with or just observations that I see happening in my own family and in other people's families too. That's that's awesome. You probably love Walmart then. Well, just looking around at people. <laughs> people want to know Walmart. We've all done watching. it. Let's, yes. Yeah, let's be real. So I guess we didn't even talk about what the post is, but basically after the JMU player had committed suicide is when you started to have these thoughts, correct? And yes. and so your thoughts on the on that suicide, but also just the pandemic of the amount of suicides happening is what led you to write eight things that you feel should at least be talked about or maybe thought about doing differently in sport. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So if you are cool with it, I'd love to just go through each of the eight and just hear your thoughts on each one. And maybe I'll share a couple of my stories too, because they these are very relatable and also controversial. So <laughs> I think I think we can have some fun with this. So you in? You ready to do this? I'm in. I do want people to know that my intent is, I, in no way am I insinuating that softball causes suicide or anything like that. I've worked with a ton, hundreds of youth who are contemplating suicide themselves. Uh, I worked in a middle school for five years and weekly I was talking to kids who were contemplating suicide, thinking about it. And so it's, um, it's near and dear to my heart. Like it's, it's really important to me. So if, if writing this post can help one family and it prevents one kid from going down that road, then totally worth it. Um, so I'm not here mm-hmm. to tell people what to do. I'm just trying to get them to think maybe about what they're doing and if there's a better way to do it. Softball, no softball. Right. Or, really don't care, just want people to, to be their best. Yes, I love it. I absolutely love it. So let's just start with, with number one. Okay. Um, and I wrote them briefly. I didn't write the entire thing out, but you okay. share that kids are more than, more than the sport that they play. Mm-hmm. So take me back. Why did you write this? So it's, it's easy. Like, I'm ultra competitive. I love sports. I've been involved in sports in some way my entire life. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's very easy to become, for me, it was basketball. It was very easy to become basketball. And that's all people knew me for. And then I kind of kept, started catching myself doing that with my daughter. And I would kind of see maybe other people doing the same thing. And so it started to become important to me to to let her know you are more than softball. You are all Mm -hmm. these other things. You're a daughter, you're a baker, you're a great friend, you're smart. And and to verbally say that to her because she is more than a softball player. And someday softball is gonna end, whether that's Mm -hmm. tomorrow or years from now, I don't know. But when it does, then I want her to know who she is besides softball. Yeah, And, and you playing college basketball, do you think that this is advice you wish you would have also told yourself? Potentially, yes. I, I'm thinking of myself here. And when I pl- when I finished playing softball, I 
what I got to play two years professionally, which was an honor and awesome. But I still went through the same thing a lot of my teammates after college went through of what is my identity if I'm not a college softball player? And I struggle with that. So did you have, do you wish you would have told yourself that as well? Yes, 100%. And my parents yeah. never put it on me. It was, I was very self-driven. It was not from them at all. They had yeah. bigger and better things to worry about. They supported me, but yes, it was 100% on myself. And when, when I was done playing, it kind of was like, what now? Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. What do I, what do I do? And, right. and so yes, 100% comes from there. Yeah. It's so relatable. Now, if, what, what would you wish that your daughter would take with that information? Like, do you want her to sign up for other things that she likes, like maybe violin or just any other things? Like, do you encourage her to continue to do things outside of sport then to help distract her from that mindset? Yes. Primarily through school though, so that she can um, be connected to her school because softball is all outside of school at this point. Next year, she'll finally get to play school ball. But so primarily sports are kind of her interest. So we've highly encouraged her to do some sport, at least one at school so she can be connected to the school because she never got into band or choir, theater, or any mm-hmm. of that. So sport kind of kind of her thing, her, kind of her option. So yeah. we've pushed that pretty hard. And yeah. we haven't had to really push that hard for volleyball. She enjoys volleyball a lot. And mm-hmm. then she did track, which was new for her. That's awesome. And and yeah. we'll talk about playing multiple sports here in a little bit, but I do okay. love that she's doing other things too, but that it they kind of all really go hand in hand, all of these eight. The second one I believe is the most controversial one. So here we go. We're starting in hot. Having tournaments with no losers brackets. So take me back to why you think this is a why you think this should happen or be considered. Because I look at it like, well, without a loser's bracket, I wouldn't be able to win those last five games on a Sunday to go win a championship, you know, right. and you're a competitor too. So right. to me, I'm like, whoa, taken back by this. So so what was the reasoning behind this one? So the reasoning is probably multiple Sundays in a row. <laughs> We're yeah. at a ball field. It's a Sunday and it's game after game after game after game. And sometimes I just start to wonder like, is it too much every every weekend? You know, maybe eight games. Is it is it too much? I don't I don't know. I I mm-hmm. want to have a chance to always win too. What if you play the best team your first game and you get knocked down? Of course, you should have a chance to go win it, right? Mm-hmm. So I I get both sides of it, but I don't know. If you're there multiple weekends, you're playing eight, nine, ten games. Is that the best thing for those kids to be doing all weekend, every weekend? Sure. And this is where I even think about pool play. Like, what if we don't have pool play and we just start with the tournament? And that takes out two or three games there. But I do agree, there are so many games played. Yeah, and then a lot of, I don't know about other places, but a lot of the tournaments that we're in around here, those pool games don't even matter for seeding. The bracket's already seeded, so you're basically playing kind of two scrimmage-like games. Mm -hmm. So, like you said, maybe change that so they're either seated or you're jumping right into bracket play and then have that double mm-hmm. elimination. I like games to mean something. Practice is where you practice. To me, games, we're playing. Yeah, you, you practice all week so I can go play. No, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. It's interesting because I've had Natasha Watley on the show and, and also Jordan Taylor, and they both play in Japan um, professionally. And when they told me their schedule, I was just like taken back by it. Now, again, they're professional athletes. They're paid to play. Um, So they practice for six hours a day, but like that's their job. But they only play like, I think one game or two games a week. Like it's like, 
it, it's obviously a job, so we can't we can't compare it completely to travel ball because that's that's not a thing. But mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, games are strenuous. Yeah. Like in college softball, my sister could have potentially played three college softball games in a row in a hundred degree heat. And the NCAA, they t- they came in and they're like, okay, if the, if necessary game happens, we'll push it to Monday. Because they they then started to think, wow, that's actually not good for the athlete. Right. But you think about it, like there's no tournament that's like going to say anything about 100 degree heat. You live in Texas for that matter. <laughs> and I played professionally in Texas. I know how hot it gets. I was taking pickle juice shots every five seconds. Oh. But 100 degree heat, they don't care. Most don't of them. Care. You're just playing five games in 100-degree weather, and kids pass out. And, um, like, the amount of ambulances I can think of coming coming to to those fields, obviously for injuries as well, but I think it's it's something to consider for sure yeah, because for games reason, take a lot out of you. Yeah, and I think sometimes, like, to me, games should be special. Like, I think when you get to play a game, it's a, it's a special thing. It's a special event. And some of those kids like, yeah. look out there and they just, they look exhausted. They're done. And I don't think it should be that way. I think it should be something that they always, always look forward to. But if you're doing it all day, every day, it kind of takes that special out of it. I agree. And I've seen that too. Mm-hmm. That's, that's such a good point. Such a good point. All right, let's dive into number three. I loved how you said this. You said teenagers need to be social. Those weirdos need to congregate. <laughs> and I was sitting there like, yeah, we're all weird. I I'll, Every episode I end with, like, stay awkward. Yes. yes. Everybody's awkward and weird. Um, yeah. But it's true. Like, we need social connection. So take me take me into that one and maybe your experience with with that with your, your children. So with the kids being eighth grader and freshman, our daughter especially is super social. She she loves her softball team. She loves being with them. But it started coming up of, mom, I'm not getting to be with friends because we're at the softball field so much. And so we really kind of had to work together to figure out that balance. And basically what it ended up being is on the weekends, whenever she wasn't at the field, then I would agree to we have to drive a little ways to get to her friends. We don't live in right there by the school. But I would mm-hmm. basically agree, we'll we'll get you to your friends most of the time. So she was having that social time because it's it's very important in their development. It's important to her. And so we kind of had to find that balance because yes, as an athlete, that's a special thing. You get to go be with those friends, but it's also very important to to be able to socialize with your school friends too or your friends outside of softball. So yeah. we just had to be very cognizant of that. Yeah. And it's funny because I really didn't, this is going to sound sad, but like, don't feel bad for me. I just didn't really have a whole lot of close friends in middle school or high school. Like I still have a few that I still talk to, but like when it came down to the lifestyle that I ended up going choosing, which was playing every weekend in the summer because I wanted to play D1 softball, like that was my goal. I started to lose some of those friends from school, but then I found that social interaction with my team and I enjoyed so much being with them. And those are like my people. But I do agree that it's important to have people that also don't care how you do on the softball field too. Yeah. Um, I can't emphasize that enough. When I played college, I had a lot of friends that were in sororities and they didn't come to my games. Um, actually, they came to some, but they had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and there was part of me that loved that. Yeah. But I do think that it's important to like not only hang out with people that 
know exactly what you're going through. You need, you need other people too in your life to kind of find that balance. Right. Do you agree? Does that sound weird? No, I totally agree. And I think for some kids, they start to resent softball because they feel like they're missing out so much over here. So it's just kind of figuring out the balance for your own child on what that Mm -hmm. is. Because I'd see some kids quitting softball because they want to be with friends. But in my mind, maybe you can have both, at least for now. You know, at least Mm -hmm. for now, depending on what level they want to play or how far they want to take it. But that's totally that's their call. I'll drive you most of the time, but <laughs> you kind of yep. gotta figure out what's important. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's dive into four. You've actually dabbled into this already, but it, you said softball is their journey. Let them decide what goes into it. I'm assuming that's just like effort, like how much how much they want to put into it. Yeah, how much they practice, how much they work at it. So early on. I would say my husband and I, we probably, we pushed pretty hard. Like if, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You're going to go all in and either mm-hmm. do it or don't do it. So we pushed pretty, pretty hard, admittedly, maybe probably too hard in most people's eyes. And then there became a point and it was like, we seem more concerned about this than they do. And so this yeah. does not make sense. So then we, you know, it was a process, but we figured out like, We'll we'll be as committed as you are. If you're if you want to go to lessons and then you're gonna go home and work on that stuff on your own, okay, we'll drive you to the lesson and we'll pay for it. But if we're taking mm-hmm. you to the lesson and then you're not applying any of that during the week, we're out. We're not going to the lesson and we're not paying for it. So you yeah. decide and we'll we'll adjust accordingly. Um, so that's kind of where that came from. That's so good. And Monica Abbott said something similar. Like I think, or was it was it Monica? Yeah. I think her older sister was getting pitching lessons. She wanted pitching lessons. And her mom was like, you got to prove it. Like prove that you actually want it. So she was like putting in the work. She got one lesson. She started putting in the work throughout the week and her mom knew she was serious. And then she started consistently going to lessons. And that's how Monica Abbott was built. So I think there's something to that. And clearly if Monica Abbott, the best pitcher in the world, like (laughs) was brought up that way, I think there's something we can learn from that. The other part of that was it used to be that we would kind of set up like what they were going to do during the week. And so then we switched that and we said, it's Sunday. We're busy. We have our own things too in our own lives too. If you want to do something, if you want to go to the cages or you need us to catch or whatever, we need to know Sunday night what your plan Mm -hmm. is for the week. And then we will work that into our schedule. But if you don't tell us ahead of time, don't count on us helping you. So Sunday nights, or, you know, Sunday afternoon, we're getting that schedule and then they know that we'll, we'll help make it happen for them. And that's worked yeah. really, really well for us. That's incredible accountability. I love that. I yeah. really do. And it, it makes me think too, my, you listen, you told me earlier, you listened to my dad's episode and he, and he was like, I never had to tell Christina to go hit my middle sister, <laughs> I but that. I had to tell you to go yes. hit sometimes. <laughs> And I will say that was after I decided I wanted to play D1. So it was a little different. But as I started doing it on my own and getting good at the game, I was starting to realize like that extra effort is what's actually making me better at this game. Therefore, I started to ask him to come to practice. So maybe it's it's different with the oldest, but he, he did mention along the lines of, I needed to like see somebody else doing the same thing for it to be like, oh, that's what's out there type of a thing. Yeah. My sister didn't have to do that. I was the person she was seeing. But I but I I will say my dad never he he pushed 
pretty hard, Mm -hmm. but the goals that I had for myself were not ones that he ever said, you need to do this. You need to play D1 softball. It was like, I chose that for myself and he did whatever it took for him to help me get there. So that's, I think that's a really, really important one. I circled that one like 10 times in my (laughs) notes. Um, So that's, that's pretty awesome. It's been an important one. Yes. They're all so important, which is why I'm so happy that you're here talking about them. (laughs) So number five, love your kid, not their stats. Hang on. I need to say it one more time for the people in the back. Love your kid, (laughs) not their stats. Their stats shouldn't change how you treat them. The sun just brought, went straight into my face right now. (laughs) Um, I told you earlier, I don't normally do evening interviews. So like the sun's right. straight in my face. All good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Back to this one. Love your kid, not their stats. Take me through this one. So our kids both set goals for themselves for tournament weekends that are mm-hmm. stats. So it, it became a, a tricky line for us because they had goals that they had set ahead of time. They wanted to about whatever average, have no errors, whatever different categories they set it up. Well, where do you go to get stats for travel ball? Game changer. So we would go mm-hmm. and look at it. And then the conversations would be based around that. And mm. sometimes that was good. Sometimes it wasn't so good. And so what I started to figure out is we need to give that some time and, and separate that and not have that conversation right afterwards or make sure that conversation is really um, led and driven by the kids, not by us. And to let them focus on what they wanted to focus on and, and they could base their week on what they wanted to work on around that. But it, mm-hmm. it didn't need to affect, it didn't need to become personal. And mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know, that became like a bigger deal than it should have. And so we kind of yeah. back away from that and just let that be their goals. And it's, you know, doesn't matter to me if you bat 150 or 400 that weekend, like you decide what you're going to do with that. It's right. your goal. It's not mine. Bats are so tricky mm-hmm. because if you have a certain like batting average, you're going to be higher in the lineup or lower in the lineup, depending on what you are. Right. And it's hard not to want to hit a certain batting average. Mm-hmm. But, and I think I've shared this before. I remember my senior year was my best year offensively by far. And in preseason, I was like hitting 420, like I or somewhere maybe even higher than that. It was just like stupid, yeah. and I had no clue I was hitting that like whatsoever. I just felt good in the box. The ball was a beach ball, and I was just doing my thing and enjoying it. I also was taking a sports psychology class at the time, so I think that had something to do with it because I was using a lot of those um, practices in my game. Mm-hmm. But I but as soon as we played at Georgia, literally they have your face. They have your stats right next to your face. So what batting average that you had was right there for me to see. And I had never played on a field where that was a thing. So it was a factor that I had never seen. And seeing how well I was doing freaked me out. I was like, what? Like, I had no clue what I was hitting. My coaches never told me. My dad never told me my stats. But as soon as I knew it, I kind of freaked myself out. And I think my first at bat, I hit a line drive to the shortstop and she caught it. And right above her... I just saw my stats go lower. (laughs) Like they literally dropped before my eyes. And in reality, that was a good hit. So why should I be upset about it? Oh, I'm upset because I just saw it go go down. So I think when it comes to stats, 
I'm, I was, I played better when I didn't know them. Yeah. And that was an always thing. And so I think just, just stats are, they're tricky. And I think personally, if I were to go coach a travel ball team or a high school team, I would not let anybody on the team know what they were hitting. But the problem is game changer can always tell you, but I try, I would probably try to emphasize not even knowing. Yeah. That's probably the smartest way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And at least in one of my best hitting coaches in college, JT Gasso, who you have all seen Oklahoma do what they do. JT Gasso is their hitting coach. We would literally have a quality at bats chart in the dugout and we would track our quality at bats. So that could include a line drive to the shortstop that was caught. And we were trying to see how many tallies as a team we could get that game. And a lot of times, the more tallies we had, the more likely we were going to win. So to me, that that's a better goal is to just have quality instead of a percentage where a hit could be a blooper over second base and that's a hit, you know? Right. So that's just my perspective on it. But I thought when it comes to stats, I, I will gladly spend a little time talking about this. Because <laughs> I've got my own opinions and I'm sure some people maybe disagree with me. It bugs me when I see people on Twitter saying what their stats were after two games. Like, yeah, a college coach isn't going to recruit you simply because that's your stat line. Right. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. You just do your thing. Hit the ball hard as often as possible. You're going to be in good shape. Yeah, I think you've got yeah. it figured out better than than we do. We're still trying to navigate <laughs> that because we also yeah, like, it's hard. Notice, it's hard. Yeah, kids don't watch sports like like they used to growing up, mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. I didn't. And so, part of the reason we started having them look at stats is so that they would understand them because they didn't want to just sit there and and watch games because our society's sure. boom, boom, boom. And so yeah. we wanted them to like learn another part of the game too. Yeah. Uh, no, you're so, so right. There's there's a lot of stats we can we can factor. Maybe it's just batting average is what I think of most, but yeah. Yeah. It's Only a weird that bats makes more sense. Yeah, it just keeps it more simple because there's more ways technically to get a quality of bat. Hard hit, yeah. sack bunt, sack fly, RBI, even if it's not a hit, right? Just something yeah. productive for the team. A walk quality. But mm-hmm. then if it's a pop-up, a weak ground ball, or a strikeout. With less than nine pitches, I would say that's probably not quality. And there's there's less ways to get a non-quality at bat. There's more ways to get quality. And in a game where failure is like everywhere, yeah. I feel like that's a way to where we can boost confidence a little bit more. I like that. Yeah, we might have to take that and implement that at the Hensley House. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I need to have. So I've had JT Gasso on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, he was actually my first guest I ever had. Maybe I need to get him back on after season after they win the comp- women's college world series. I, I'm saying it right now, even though this, I think this episode is going to come up after the Women's College World Series, so we'll see um, <laughs> how that factors. Um, we'll pro- maybe we should just have them on just to talk quality. I would love that. I think I, would I think that. that would be I think that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, so amazing bullet point. I'm so glad you added that to to this list. Can you believe we're almost halfway through the year already? I can't either. But the only reason why I have to know this is because every six months I launch doors opening again for the Virtual Hitting Academy. So if your athlete either wants to get stronger mentally, physically, or both in the box and beyond, this might be exactly what she needs. So in order to get a whole lot of information about Virtual Hitting Academy, I'm gonna recommend that you dive into the newsletter that we send every single week. 
If you join the newsletter, you're offered a little bit of a discount on the Virtual Hunting Academy and also all the insights of things that you need to know, guest speakers that we plan to bring. This past six months have included Sue Inquist, Natasha Watley, Chris Vasami, Kendall Burton, all huge names inside the game of baseball and softball. I'm very excited to announce some new speakers coming in to talk to all of Academy members as well. So if you'd like to join the newsletter so you get more access to things inside the Virtual Hitting Academy, go to www.ashleybtraining.com and I'll see you on the inside. Doors only open two times a year and the next opening will be the first week of July. So go ahead, sign up for our newsletter and I'll see you soon. All right, let's head back to this episode. Now we're to number six, which is encourage a second sport. Okay, I love this one. Personally, my background, I started playing every sport possible when I was basically out of the womb. And then I just navigated my way through going and playing the sports that I liked, which ended up being volleyball, basketball, and softball my eighth grade year. Freshman year, I gave up volleyball, and then I stuck to basketball and softball. And then once I – I don't even want to get into the whole basketball experience, but I stopped (laughs) playing basketball after my sophomore year and then only played – Softball, but I truly believe volleyball helped with my power and agility. Mm-hmm. Basketball definitely helped with agility and endurance. All elements that I did there helped me become a better softball player. So, and then I'm sure you wrote this mostly for the aspect that it's more of social, like in your in your put in a different leadership position in both sports. But I'm I'm all ears on why you added this one to the list. Totally on board with what you said and, and one sport helping the other and just working different muscle groups, but also the same ones that help. Uh, yeah. I think also it just helps prevent burnout. I think one sport mm-hmm. year round, working on your own with the team nonstop. I see a, a lot of kids get burned out. And I think that's part of the reason why, because they do put in a lot of time. I also grew up playing every sport possible. I was from a small town, so mm-hmm. um, most of us played everything we had to to form a team. You were uh, on the all-star on every team you played on. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody is, yeah. yeah. So really from a burnout, a social aspect, and then, yes, just helping those. My husband's very much into weightlifting and the positive effects of that and just how the body works. So we've talked a lot about it, but seeing it with our son, especially too with baseball and football and how one helps the other and how some of those kids that they just play one sport, it seems like sometimes they're lacking a little bit in certain areas. And so Mm -hmm. I just think there's nothing but good things that come from it. There's really not a negative except for maybe once you get into high school, you may be missing like our son because he plays Football, he's missing baseball class or something like that. But yeah. uh, that's where you just you put in the time on your own where maybe you can't make the baseball class. So if you really want it, you still figure out a way to make it work. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I personally believe, especially when I was playing three sports, I ironically picked three sports that were in three different seasons for the most part. But, you know, before I decided to pl- that I wanted to play D1, because I feel like this is like always the tipping point. When I when I decided to play D1, a lot of things had to change. Right. Sacrifice had to be made to drop a sport just so I could spend more time doing the other, but I think for it's it's starting to become a trend that like people are doing one sport at a very early age. Yes. And for some people it works for them. It worked for a few of my teammates that I played with because they could probably find a balance with other things in life. But I loved that when I was in basketball season, especially in 8th grade, 
I don't think I played softball. (laughs) I had a rough couple weeks once I jumped back into softball, but I didn't have games for a month so I could get ready, you know, but, but I did love also that basketball allowed me to have like other relationships, other experiences, other coaches. Socially, it's completely different. I rode the bench a little bit more in that sport. So it's like, I feel like the skills that are being learned also in other sports are important too. So I really loved this one. Yeah, I think also just being coached by coaches that you're not normally coached by. Learn how to handle different coaching styles. Totally. It feels like to not know if you're going to make varsity or or Mm -hmm. the A team or the B team. Like you might be a B teamer and Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. it's okay to not be the the best one and, and see what that feels like and how can you still be a good teammate and how does it feel to not have any idea what you're doing when they're teaching a new skill and you've never done it before. And so it's important to be on that end of things too and learn that one. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. It it molds you into becoming just a better athlete in general too, which I mean, I know we're talking about mostly the mental aspect of it all, but like holistically I'm on board with multiple sports. I think it can teach you so much. Yeah. I love when it. Hear, when you hear anybody talk, like it, it seems like any coaches, higher level coaches that I listen to, higher level athletes, they all support uh, multiple sports. So, yeah. I take it's that it's so interesting. I literally looked up the stat and it was, it said, and I know this is football, so maybe a little different, but they're the best of the best. 90% mm-hmm. of first round draft picks were multi sport athletes in high school. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> Isn't that like it's a lot? And I think yeah. it's still high in all other sports too. Yeah. I think it was like 80, 86%, something along those lines of all sports, you know, D1 players playing multiple. I don't know. There's something to that. There's something to that. They're also just grow- freakishly good athletes and they're That's good true. whatever they do. That's true. There's but, two sides to it, but I definitely yeah. think there's a ton of benefit. Completely. Completely. All right. We have two more. Okay. These are flying by. Number seven. This one cuts deep. Your status as a parent does not depend on your kid playing college ball. Is this a lesson that you had to learn or is a lesson that you've seen from others? I would say that's more one that I've seen. Um, Okay. Yeah, that one's not super personal to me. It just feels Mm -hmm. like I would hear a lot of parents talking about their kid was going to go D1, this D1, that D1. My... Unlike you, my history is not D1. I played small NAIA basketball. So different experience, but yet the same. Like mm-hmm. that's that's your level wherever it is. So I'm very comfortable in both kids at this point say they both have D1 dreams, goals. Mm-hmm. But I'm very comfortable and very honest with them about like just find that place that's right for you, whether it's mm-hmm. D1 NAIA, I don't care. You need to find the right school for you. But it's something I would hear a lot and it it just doesn't quite make sense to me. Like D1 is, the odds are not good of kids making it there. If they can, more power to them and that's what they want to do, that's great. But mm-hmm. if, they, if they're not that good and that's not where they end up, I think that's okay too. Like, yeah. Go where, go where fits your level and, and your education, your coach, your kind of teammates, like go what fits you. Yeah. It depends on your yeah. personality. Like you found yeah. the perfect school for you because the things that you wanted were there. So what made you decide to play at the school that you did? 
I loved basketball and my high school counselor said, go, go visit the schools. You know, some of the schools that are talking to you. I was not heavily recruited in small town and just good for a small town. And so I went and visited and sure enough, she was right. When I walked on to campus, I was like, this is the one that fits. I like the coach, mm-hmm. the, the kinds of players were there, the campus, um, the, the teachers, like it just fit. I just, when I went there, it felt right. And mm-hmm. so that's why I picked it. The other school that was the other top team in the conference, I went there. It didn't feel right at all. Nice people just didn't feel right for me. So mm-hmm. it was just that simple. They were both about the yeah. same distance from home. They were both two of the top teams in that particular conference. Mm-hmm. Um, both good coaches, but one just felt right and the other one didn't. And you got to continue playing a sport that you loved. Yeah. It, like you get to do that and not just D1. D1's like a small part of it. Like there's so many others. I know a girl that just, she moved from D1 to a D2 and now she's competing for a national championship. Right. It's just, it's just, it's jaw dropping to me how many people are D1 or bust. Because I think, I think if, if kids truly wanted to play college ball and that, that includes JUCO, that includes NAIA, that includes all the things you probably can. Yes. And, and, And I think a lot has to do with what you want too. You can. I I think there's a place out there for anybody that's willing to put some time and effort into it. There's a place. Yeah. You just need a gut check with how much do you want to suffer, really? (laughs) D1 is a lot. Um, But that's the thing. I I think D1 and D2, I I don't know a whole lot about the other Mm -hmm. levels as much, but I know there's a lot of of D2s, D3s, NIIs, and JUCOs that could beat a lot of D1 teams. So I'm not sure what, what that's all about, but when it comes down to it, it's, it's really what your athlete wants. And we talked about that earlier. And having them truly do a gut check with what they, what they want and why they want it, I think is the most important thing. Yes. That's probably one of the biggest factors for that and one. And that it's what they want, not what their parents want. Right. Yeah. Or coaches or anyone. Right. You know? They're the ones that are going to be there. And, and in my opinion, if, if it's not really what they want, they're going to show up to campus and they're not going to make it anyway. They're not going to make it. It's That's the thing. Last. I came in with eight girls in my class and only four came out. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's normal. That's normal. Yeah. It's yeah. sad, but it's normal. Yeah. yeah. It's just great. It's a lot. Yeah. And, and the same thing happened with me, Ashley. Like I loved basketball my whole life. And then I played two years in college and like I woke up one day and I was just like, I don't, I don't love anymore. Like I'm, I'm done. I'm ready for the next step. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've felt that side of it too. So when that happens, right. are you still happy at that college that you're at? Are you still yeah. happy with the program that you've chosen? Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's where my perspective comes from is having experienced that myself too. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I personally went through a time I think it was like after my freshman year or sophomore year where I was like, do I really want this? Like yeah. this, this life. But that's the thing too, is I, I know, I don't think I ever want to left Purdue though. Like, cause I loved Purdue. I'm yeah. literally wearing a sweatshirt right now because I love it so much. Right. But, and I stayed at that school another year. I stayed and graduated and then I went to a different school to get my master's. So I, I liked the school too. It was a good school. Yeah. Uh, so even though I wasn't playing, I still finished up there. That's a really important factor. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Down to the last one. And I love that you ended with this one too. You said, love your kids big, let them fail big. We can teach them how to handle it. I love right. that one. I love that one. Take me through that one. 
So this one may be as much from my experience at schools as it is softball, but I see so many of us parents and it's the natural thing to do. But when our kids mess up, I have parents coming in and they want to, they want to save them. They don't want them to get in trouble. They don't want them to get Mm -hmm. the lower grade. They want to protect them. And so what I've seen though, is those parents that will let their kids take the consequences of school, get in trouble, whatever it is, take the lower grade, those kids learn how to manage that. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, they messed up when the stakes were small, but then when the stakes are big, they already know how to handle it. And they're probably not going to make those similar choices. So Mm -hmm. that's what I've seen over and over. Like we, we have to let our kids fail. We have to let them fall on their faces. We have to let them mess up and then kind of coach them through how to manage that, but not go in and and swoop in and and save them every time, not be a helicopter parent, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so, that's so well said. So what are some ways that you help teach the students that you work with or even your, your son and daughter how to handle failure? Do you have any examples? So, I mean, just like a very basic one, but a a kid skips class at school, right? Mm -hmm. And so parents may come in and want to write them a pass or whatever, or or excuse them, but no, like whatever the consequences that the school gives for skipping class, they get that and they Mm -hmm. live with it. Like let, let them experience the consequence. Or mm-hmm. in softball, you know, if they they miss a practice and the coach has a rule, you miss practice, you don't start the next game or you don't play the next game. Don't go yeah. fight for them to get that playing time. They don't get it. Sit on the bench. Right. Um, my son's coach I does that. that. If you're late, way. my son's baseball coach, if you're late, you're at the bottom of the batting lineup. And mm. I think you don't play the first inning. And wow. he, he doesn't care. He's consistent. You can The best player on the team showed up late bottom of the batting lineup didn't didn't start the game okay mm-hmm. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go and say anything to the coach that's the rule yeah yeah that's that's all the best coaches that I had they stuck to their rules all the they time they stuck to them yeah. oh yeah best there was no leniency player. none yeah it's it. funny I um I make like very silly rules in my batting cage, but if, uh, if an athlete makes the same error, like the same swing, that wasn't a good swing. So maybe like a pop-up to opposite field three times in a row, if it's the same exact thing, three times in a row, they have a burpee. Mm -hmm. And I learned this from another coach that I had. It's like, if you do it once, who cares? So what? If you do it twice, all right. Like we didn't make an adjustment, but like, we better not do that again. Right. That means we didn't make a mental adjustment between that rep. Mm-hmm. And then if it happens a third time, we're doing a burpee on the spot because I need you to like physically do something different to get your like to change, to change something. And it's funny because as soon as I make that rule, I have athletes that are like doing burpees on their own. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even notice you did that three times. But it's that accountability that like helps them grow, not just physically, but I think mentally too. But there's something to there's something to all that. And honestly, this is why I loved sports psychology. You know, even all, even the fact that I only studied it for literally a semester, I loved it so much. And there's there's so much, especially with having psychology as your undergrad, and also working with with student athletes and just students in general every single day. There's just so much knowledge that you've that you've developed. And I'm so, so happy that you wrote it in a Facebook post. <laughs> and I'm so happy that, that you've been able to share some of these thoughts with us today. This was, this has been so much fun. This has been so much fun. 
Thank you. I have a couple closing questions for you. Um, nothing too crazy, but what are the biggest lessons that being a sports parent has taught you other than, you know, these maybe from a parent's perspective, like what are your top ones? Top one would be, um, enjoy it. Like there's a lot of, a lot of fun, fun moments, a lot of enjoyable car rides. <laughs> a yeah. lot of just, they, they do the kids, both of our kids, they put in a lot of time on their own that people don't know about and to, to watch them on the field and just watch them get better and see that kind of starting to really this last year, they've both improved a lot and it's finally kind mm-hmm. of coming together for them to tell them good job too. Right. Like, compliment them and and let them know like I I do see your hard work I do see your improvement but just enjoy enjoy watching them play enjoy going out to eat lunch with them enjoy those early mornings um yeah. getting up driving an hour to a game like mm-hmm. it, I only have four or five more years of this and so I'm gonna soak in every moment at this point because it's fun they're they're turning into good people and so it's just fun that's so awesome I love hearing that you probably really enjoyed suing quests episodes Yes. About like soaking <laughs> yes. it all in and like sitting yes. behind home plate, not say a word. Like it was probably one of those where it's like she truly talked about like just enjoying the moment. Yeah. Because you're not going to have it for long. And, um, no. you know, I'm not a parent, but there will be a day where I am. And yeah. there's just so much that even this conversation alone I've taken from. So I've taken so much from it. So what I'm curious, what do you say to your athletes when maybe they have a bad game? Like what, what does that car ride home conversation or that evening look like for you guys? So the car ride home, I'm Lauren, they, they just need time. They're both competitive. They know at this point, they both know better than I do. Baseball and mm-hmm. softball is not my expertise. I've learned a lot over the years and I do listen. And I pay attention. I listen to podcasts and all the things, but I just give them time. Our son, especially he does not want to talk. Like he's going to tune out and that's okay. I get it. I was mm-hmm. a lot like that too. Our daughter, she um, she doesn't want to talk about it, but she may want to talk about something else, but she just needs time too. So the car ride home, we're not talking about softball at all. And then either later that night or maybe even the next day, usually my husband will circle back around. He's the one that does the work with him at this point. Um, yeah, the college fo- or the, the high school football coach, he, he knows. He knows <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> but he's the one that puts all the time in with him. They've they've outgrown me and, and my skill levels, so it's on him. But then he'll circle back around with them, and, and it's just back to their week. What do you want to work on this week? You know, what, what went mm. well during the weekend? What didn't go well? And really, yeah. they have that conversation. I really don't even have it anymore. They don't need to have it twice, and he's the one that's actually doing the work with them, so... They'll talk about it. I don't really talk about it with them. Yeah, that's so it's so cool. I love that dynamic, especially because, again, I had a lot of great coaches in my life, one including my dad, and it it looked a lot similar. It was, hey, so that change up. Yeah, (laughs) that was not great, was it? (laughs) And and again, like I I think needing the, the space and the time to like process it all before talking about it is important as well, which is like I love that you mentioned that. Because I'm always hungry after games and just want food. I don't want to sit and talk about all the crappy things I did yet. Right. Um, for sure. But, Everybody. It took a while for us to learn that, by the way. That yeah, was not, it, I mean, it seems like common sense, but it wasn't. Right. But you've learned it and I'm so happy you're sharing it. And I love that it's not just like you forget about it. It's now our practice for the week is dedicated to that thing that right. you admitted that did not go well. Right. And what's going to build more confidence than that? 
See, like knowing that you stunk at this thing, working on it, now seeing yourself too better at it, that's confidence. Like, yeah. It's it's not rocket science. Some no. things are rocket science. That's not though. That is not one of them. <laughs> that's not one of them. So let me t- let me hear what you do. Like a great game. Do you talk about it in the car? Do you have similar experience with great games? Or does it look different? It's pr- I mean, I guess I kind of follow their lead on that. You know, if it's a mm-hmm. great game, definitely compliment them. Like, great game. Like, good job. You know, I don't really tell them good mm-hmm. job if it's not a good job because they're like, they don't appreciate that. But yeah. if it is a good job, then I'll, I'll say that and then just kind of let them guide the conversation. There's not really a plan with that, Ashley. And like, they're sure. playing too many games too. Like, unless you win the tournament, you're usually ending on a losing note. So there's not sure. a lot of those win the tournament moments. Uh, those are rare. Those yeah, are rare. That's, so. that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So letting, I like how you said letting them lead. Yeah. I mean, it's it's their deal. <laughs> I, exactly. It's, it's, their deal. It's, it's their experience. Um, yeah. you're, you're there to make sure that they're granted opportunities. And if they choose to be a certain level or skill or be, be just fantastic what they do, you're there to help them get there, but it's their journey. And you said it with number four, (laughs) it's their journey. It's theirs. Yeah. I love that. So I know you're so canceler. This is like one of the last questions that I want to ask is simply, I know a question I get a lot is about burnout. Mm -hmm. So what are some signs that you see with burnout? Like, so parents can maybe be aware, hey, this could be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe we can dive into, like, how parents can do something about it if they notice their athlete so, fighting burnout. Yeah, for me, it's just, it's listening, right? So, like, if they're playing another week, this is kind of a tricky one right now, Ashley, because I didn't tell you this, but our son, uh, just this year, he's had knee surgery, elbow surgery, and a shoulder issue stop it wow yeah so this year has been very different and very difficult so burnout is just not even a thing for him because he's just like so wants to play so bad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so there's probably been a lot of yeah there's been a lot of lessons and um just mindset changes within that so for him like i can't even go there because he's just trying to get himself healthy to, to play yeah. and a whole new level of appreciation for health, which is probably part mm-hmm. of where all of this is coming from. You know, mm-hmm. it changes your whole mindset when, when your kid can't even get on the field and it's been really hard for him. Really hard. Wow. Yeah. For Sage, it's easy when she's planning her week. <laughs> if, if she's not wanting to do as much as she normally does, then, you know, maybe she needs another day rest in there. You know, normally she always takes Mondays off. You know, there's mm-hmm. tournament Mondays are off day. And so, or maybe she's planning some extra friend activities in there. Then I know, like, she needs a little more time. And really, it's kind of her decision. Yeah. But, you know, we are driving her to pitching lessons and, and all the things. And it's like an hour drive. It's not cheap. So she mm-hmm. does know at the same time, if she doesn't get, get that in, we're not doing that. So she, mm-hmm. but again, she decides that. Um, right. So just kind of listening to her and what her week is going to be will tell me where she's at. Sure. Yeah. What are some like signs or phrases that, it, it doesn't have to be your kids, but like that you hear that you're just like red flag. Like there, there's definitely 
a lack of motivation there. Maybe we should take a rest. Because, you know, honestly, with your son, like thinking about all the time he's had off, it's probably the exact remedy that he needs in order to become an All-American one day. I'm calling it now because (laughs) having it taken away can really test you and also see how bad do you want it. And clearly he does. Um, And sometimes I think time away is like the answer to is this really what you want to do or did is this a sign that like what you just did in your off time is what you're more passionate about right now. Right. There's a whole um, other psychology lesson within that, right? Literally, literally. <laughs> this is why you're here to talk about it. Um, but are there any red flags that maybe you've heard before that you're like, oh, we need to check in. We need to, we need to realign our why here. So mostly around teenage girls and my experience with them, <laughs> with my daughter, with her friends. We are nutcases. <laughs> they'll just tell you they'll tell you i'm tired of it like i don't want to play this weekend i wish i wasn't here like Mm. i'd rather be doing whatever like they'll just tell you i don't know if they're saying those same things to their parents i'm at a place with our daughter after having been through some of these things she will tell me i need a break Mm -hmm. i need some time off i need this i need that like she'll just tell me and then we'll kind of figure out what that's going to look like the other kids they will tell me too i don't know what those conversations look like with their parents Mm-hmm. I'm sure some are similar and some are, I think there. some of them are afraid to say that to their parents um, yeah. for whatever reason. Because they don't want to disappoint anyone. Right. Is my guess. And if they tell you, it's not like you're the rule of their ruler of their house. Right. Yeah. That's really tough. That's really tough. I was the kid who never said anything to my dad ever. Yeah. yeah. I just put my head down and kept going to work. Um, But I do wish now that you're saying this, I wish I would have said more things about how I was feeling emotionally because I thought that was weakness. Like if I felt sad or I felt like I let my team down or I let my dad down, like I never like verbalized that. But yeah, I think if if I were given a little, uh, some more chances to, to speak out and have my own opinion and not have it be reconsidered or anything like that, I think I would have been more open. I feel yeah. like I'm I'm in therapy right now. <laughs> I thoroughly do. Um, but I I, ser- I love this conversation. I love I it. Too. It's it's important stuff just to consider it and and see see where we can all improve. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Normally, this is the part of the podcast where I say, "Where can people find you?" But <laughs> where did you post that? Was it in Softball Moms on Facebook? It. It was in a few different groups. The, uh, the yeah. one that it ended up being like shared the most, I think, was the Reformed, uh, Reformed Sports, Sports Parent. Group. Yeah. Yeah. They posted it, and then that kind of threw some gasoline on it there at the end, I think. Right, right. Um, but I, I'm guessing you don't want people to come knock on your door and ask you psychology questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, but today's kind of uh, ironic because we've talked about me being a school counselor and actually – after 21 years in education, I resigned, and this is my last year of doing that. Wow. This yeah. is entirely ironic. So wow. ironic. Yes. I rushed home from school. My very last day with students after 21 years, and I'm, I'm starting wow. a new, whole new career. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank God I <laughs> caught you when I did. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you excited about it? It sounds like you're very excited about your next step, though. I'm excited. I'm ready for something different. I'm actually going to work from home so I can I don't ever have to miss a game. I did not realize Mm. that sometimes now high schools play uh, during the day and I refuse. What? 
Mm-hmm. That's a thing? It was with freshman baseball. It happened every once in a while. And so, and with softball, actually the softball girls are following their team this year and they were playing some during school with tournaments and stuff. And I'm, wow, I'm going to be there to enjoy it. So I'm working yes. from home, going into Absolutely. life insurance and it's going to, I'm excited. I've done been doing it part-time, so it's going to be fun. Yeah. But you're still going to be a full-time sports mom. 100%. 100%. I love it. I That's love this. I love this so much. This has been insightful for me as someone who's not a parent. Um, I'm sure there are so many gems that people are taking away, maybe taking notes of right now. This has been wild. And this is definitely, definitely a different type of episode, but I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And I need to find more guests like you that can share a little bit of your experience because this, like not just this list, but the things that you shared today are definitely going to help inspire people to think a little different and reconsider, you know, a lot of things that maybe they, they do now. And again, like you were saying, like, we're all just doing our dang best, (laughs) but you're a few more years down the road of some people listening. And I think it's it's so relatable. So thank you so much for coming on Holly. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me on. I've learned a lot from you and, and your guests. So it's super like ironic to be sitting on here doing this right now, but I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot over the years. I still have a lot to learn. So it's going to be fun though. Uh, thanks for your bravery. <laughs> I've, I've, I've loved every minute of this and good luck to you and your new career. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ashley. Gosh, I loved this interview with Holly and I had no idea that she had listened to like every episode that we've put up of the podcast so far. So it's really neat to be able to get one of you to be on the show. There's so much you can take away from this one. Of the eight, I'm honestly very curious which one stuck out to you the most. Um, I believe the one that stuck out to me the most was love your kid, not their stats. Um, stats are becoming huge in this game and I see it everywhere, how every athlete knows their stats. And honestly, when I knew my stats, I did not play well. And that pressure that it eluded was just insane. So that's one of the big ones that stuck out to me. So if you have a specific one that stuck out to you, I'd love to know it. So maybe I can dive more into that one on this podcast. So feel free to share it with me on social media. I'll make sure to have that in the show notes for you to find. Also, if you loved Holly and want to connect with her, I included her LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. Also, I wanted to mention that when I said I was taking a bunch of pickle juice shots in Texas, those are literally just pickle juice. (laughs) It's not an alcoholic beverage. But afterwards, Holly and I were giggling about it because we're like, does everybody know about pickle shots? I had no idea pickle shots were a thing. Um, It was basically, we had shots of pickle juice that we would just take. It was under ice and sometimes it was even frozen, but it seriously helps with hydration. So those of you who are about to go into this hot summer and play softball, highly recommend some pickle shots. Even though they don't exactly taste great, I can tell you right now, I had a cramp and it was gone within minutes after taking one. So that was just a little side note, but go ahead and connect with Holly. Please uh, share with me what you loved from this episode so I can share more of it with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. Don't forget to stay awkward, stay humble, and keep smiling. Keep working towards those big goals of yours, and I'll see you next week.